Doen niet deze. Good evening to you, and we're going to begin our Bible class here in just a moment. Before our class, we will have our regular prayer. We often mention as many as we can um, on our sick list. I'm going to ask you to uh, remember those as well when you're praying with me and when you pray later because I won't be able to mention all of them. But there are several on our list. We also want to pray um, this evening that the Lord will help us uh, as we study together and that perhaps uh, there'll be something that we can share together that will really uh, make a difference in our hearts and lives. Or maybe there'll be something that we will uh, stumble upon this evening that will be just what someone uh, that we know needs to, to hear and read uh, as well. But we're thankful to be here and we're thankful for this time uh, first to pray and then open up God's Word. Let's bow together. Oh Lord, thank you for each one here uh, this evening. We're grateful, Father, you have so blessed us to give us this opportunity. Lord, we're thankful for this place that we have and the many people who have gone uh, the extra mile to uh, provide us this place. Lord, we pray that we'll always use this to bring glory uh, to your name. Lord, we're grateful for every single blessing of life, Father. We, we could not... Uh, be or do anything without your mighty hand. We're thankful, Father, that we can call upon you uh, with our prayers through our Savior Jesus. And we're thankful that we can think about those who are hurting or who are not feeling well at this time. We pray for our uh, sister Denine. She's um, having some sickness right now. And pray you bless her. And pray you bless uh, Roger Jones. Lord, uh, as he continues uh, his recovery from surgery, we trust and pray, Father, that he will uh, make some progress. Uh, we, we pray that he might be home real soon. We pray for uh, our brother Wendell Logan, Father. We, you know his condition. You know the things he's going through at this time. Lord, we just pray that you would lift him up and give him the strength. We're so grateful for he and Eulene and... Uh, the goodness they have shared with us over the years. We're thankful for uh, how encouraging they are to us. We pray your blessing upon them. And Father, for all those on our list, and there are many, Lord, uh, you know their needs and their families, Lord, and we pray that they may be able to be back really soon. We pray, Father, as we um, are looking into your word tonight, that you would open up our hearts and minds Lord, help us to always want to uh, be as you would have us to be, not just uh, now, but every day, Father. And help us to be your servant. Dear Lord, we're thankful for our teachers who are assembled with uh, some of our little ones this evening. and We pray that you would bless them in their time together as well. Oh Lord, we pray you bless us as a congregation that we may be united uh, in faith and that we would all rely upon Thee. Father, that we'd always uh, teach and live upon sound doctrine here, but also, Father, that we'd always uh, have the type of love that You have, Father, that we would have it also in our hearts for each other. 
Lord, we pray that you would uh, guide us in future life, that you would help us uh, with our habits, you'd help us with our thoughts, that you'd help us in our decisions, that you would help us as parents and grandparents, that we would guide our little ones in the way that would be acceptable uh, to thee. Lord, be with us, and thank you once again for everyone here, and we, we pray that you'd help us in our studies. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll get started here in just a moment in, in the book of 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. If you haven't been here on the Wednesday night before Thanksgiving, it's a tradition that I always have a funny. And I always tell the same funny every year. Same funny. Interesting is a lot of people, it's just new to them because they don't remember it. Um, because my funny is so staggering, you would think nobody would ever forget it. But I repeat it every year, and it's our obligation as, as we get older to repeat ourselves so that our younger folks will have something to remember us by. And so that's why we repeat these things. Our young folks think that we're, we're um, not right in our minds when we repeat things, but we're doing this on purpose so that they'll know that there's something they can remember about us uh, later. So, one thing I always share every year is this phrase, and I'm always surprised that people don't know this phrase, but have you ever heard the phrase, poor as Job's turkey? You ever heard that? Poor. Poor as Job's turkey. Okay. Uh, in expressing poorness, there's only one thing that beats it, and that is poor as a church mouse. Okay, that, that beats poor as Job's turkey, but Job's turkey is number two. So then the question, of course, arises, well, just how poor was Job's uh, turkey? Job's turkey uh, was so poor, he, only, he had only one feather in his tail, and he was so weak, he had to lean against a fence post to be able to gobble. Okay. So that's my funny. That's my funny. I tell it every year. And you'll be telling this to someone that you know really soon, really soon. You probably won't be able to wait um, Try to, try to restrain yourself, though. Try to restrain yourself in texting during class, but I know you'll want to share this just as soon as possible. Okay. So, 2 Peter uh, chapter 1. And there's more where that comes from. I may share something else later. It's the one time a year where um, we allow ourselves to walk off the path just a short distance. 2 Peter chapter 1, I want to focus with you on verses 3 and 4 this evening. To begin with, this doesn't really have a topic. I want you to be ready to use your Bibles with me, and then we'll try to sum it up toward the end. Kind of a reverse way of doing our Bible study. Oftentimes we'll start with a topic, and then we'll show how this topic is, is developed in our scriptures. But I want us to look at, at this these verses phrase by phrase and try to um, together figure out some of these meanings. The wonderful thing about the Bible is uh, the Bible most often will explain itself. It'll explain itself. And so that's what we often uh, do here. Notice here in 2 Peter 1 verse 3 Peter says, according as his divine power, let's stop right there, according as God's divine power,
power. Now that will take you in a lot of different directions. Think about God's power for just a second. How has God manifested his power? Well, of course, we can't look at everything, but think about his power in the resurrection of Jesus. Let me read to you from Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians 1 for just a second. And how he talks about God's power in relation to Jesus' uh, resurrection. Beginning in about verse number 18. Uh, Ephesians 1.18 Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, and what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. So when we think about Jesus' power, we think about the power God used to raise his son from the dead. We also know that from Philippians 3, 20 and 21, that God will use this same power on the judgment day to enact the greatest event that will ever be in history, the judging of the world and the changing of our bodies, our physical bodies, into a spiritual body that will qualify us to go to heaven. God will use his power on that day. Right here in 2 Peter uh, chapter 2, there are several examples given. And they, these are examples of when God punished people and used his power to punish. For example, in 2 Peter 2, uh, 5 and 6, the, the destruction with the flood in Noah's day, and then not long after that, he talks about the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah and the judgment God brought down on those cities, uh, the judgment upon the wicked angels and how God in his power keeps them in darkness right now, 2 Peter 2, verse 4. So notice here in 2 Peter 1, verse 3, according as his divine power, and now let's read the next phrase, has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. All things. I want you to focus on all things. And I want you to think about that this is Peter writing, and Peter is one of the apostles. And I think in, in this phrase, Peter is saying, us in the sense of the apostles. He is God's divine power has granted us, the apostles, all things that pertain to life and godliness. Okay. The promise of Jesus to his apostles while, they were, while he was here on this earth. We read about this in a lot of places. But like John 16, 13, Jesus told the apostles that God in his power would bring the Holy Spirit upon them and the Holy Spirit would guide them into all the truth. To me, this is similar to what uh, is being said here in 2 Peter 1, verse 3, when he says, God has granted unto us, the apostles, all things, all of those things that pertain to life and godliness. Everything that we need to live for Christ, everything that we need to grow in godliness is, has been given to us in the scriptures, and those scriptures have been brought primarily through uh, the apostles in the early other early inspired uh, teachers. Okay. And so Jesus was so confident in this process. Look what he says in Luke chapter 10 and verse 16. Right quick. Luke chapter, chapter 10. I was trying to warn you earlier. I, was, I want you to do a lot of flipping or just some flipping with me. But um, in Luke 10, 16, Jesus said to his apostles, uh, the one who hears you will hear me. 
And the one who rejects you rejects me. And the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. You see, a lot of people want to honor God. That's, that's great. The only way to honor God is to accept his son Jesus. The only way to accept his son Jesus is to accept the testimony of the apostles. And this is why Peter is writing in the way he's writing here. He said, the, the divine power has granted unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness. You see. All right. So, we're not surprised then to read in Acts 2 and 42, as the church was established, that they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in the breaking of the bread and, and the prayers. Now, later, Paul became an apostle. He had the same knowledge revealed to him. Look what he said in 1 Corinthians 14. 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 37. He says, If anyone thinks that he's a prophet, uh, 1 Corinthians 14, 37, uh, If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things that I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. Okay. Now, this divine power given to the apostles was primarily focused on the knowledge they would bring uh, to the earth. And they were anxious to share that knowledge uh, with us. They wanted what they had uh, to come to everybody in the world. Okay. So in that regard, look at 1 John 1. I suppose one of my favorite Verses in 1 John is just how it opens up. 1 John 1, beginning in verse 1. John, also an apostle, listen to how he writes. 1 John 1, beginning in verse 1. That which was uh, from the beginning, talking about Jesus here, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon, and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim. That which we've seen and heard, we proclaim also to you that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. And that's a marvelous passage. Okay, notice the progression there. We were with Jesus. We heard Him. We, we were living with Him day by day. We, we received this uh, divine, powerful knowledge. We now have that knowledge, that which we've seen and heard, we proclaim. The reason we proclaim it is because we want you to have the joy and the fellowship that we have with Christ. It is a gracious thing that the Lord has preserved the Bible for us. And I hope that among your long Thanksgiving list, that you have the Bible right there on top of your list, because where would we be? Well, what a great blessing uh, the Bible is. And so here in 2 Peter 1.3, according as your divine power has granted unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Okay, now the Bible's purpose is spiritual. Life and godliness. The Bible will teach us how to live for Christ, how to grow in godliness. It's not going to tell us how to solve every problem on earth. Okay? 
but it gives us that hope of eternal life, and it teaches us how to serve a risen uh, Savior. What a blessing it is. Okay, so next phrase here in 2 Peter 1, uh, verse 3, uh, His divine power has granted unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness. What's the next phrase? Okay, notice that phrase, through the knowledge, through the knowledge. Okay, we're not surprised if God would go to this much trouble to make sure the apostles were endued with this divine, powerful knowledge, then it would be through that knowledge that we will receive salvation. You remember what Jesus said in John 8.32? What did John 8.32 say? You shall know the... Yeah, the truth will set you free. That's right. Free from our sin. Free from the shackles of all the false ideals on earth. Okay. Uh, free from, from um, all the frustrations of not knowing Christ. Uh, free from the old law. Uh, free in Christ uh, because we have His covenant now. Uh, through the knowledge of Him. Through the knowledge of Him. And so it's, it's so, so huge. You know, this is how faith comes. Romans ten seventeen. Faith comes by hearing. And hearing through the Word of Christ. Notice uh, how this compares to 1 Timothy chapter 2 and uh, verse number 4. And you remember this verse. Um, God would have all men to be saved, right? And come into the knowledge of the truth. Well, the first part of the verse there talks about what God would love to ha- see happen. The second part of the verse is the means for that to happen. The means for us to be saved, the means for anybody to be saved is to come into the knowledge of the truth, you see. So, you've got this divine power. How is God and His power going to save us from our sins and lift us up uh, so that we can walk with Him? It's going to be through, through knowledge. Through the knowledge, not just any knowledge, but the knowledge of Scripture, the knowledge that was given uh, to the apostles, you see. Turn with me, if you don't mind, to Philippians chapter 3. And uh, just to pick out this one, but I really love this. Uh, Philippians 3, this is Paul um, rehearsing what, it, what he went through personally to become a Christian, the things he had to put away. Um, uh, reading this chapter just um, really brings you um, to a certain point in Paul's life. Philippians uh, 3, 7 and 8. Paul said, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. It was whatever I had going for me. And Paul had a lot going for him before he became a Christian. Um, but he was glad to count that as a loss for the sake of Christ. Notice Philippians 3.8. He said, indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. Of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. That's how important knowledge is. That's how important Paul. That's how Paul looked at it. Okay, notice uh, that phrase again there in Philippians 3 and, and verse 8. I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. Nothing was more important when Paul found out how wrong he'd been. Nothing was more important than knowing Christ. 
So, according as his divine power has granted us all things through the knowledge of him who called us. Who called us. Not surprisingly, this call from God comes through the knowledge of Scripture. Okay. So let's look at a couple of verses that support that. Um, we could really spend a lot of time just on, on this. Um, but I, I love the example from Acts chapter 2. And as you go back there, I'll just mention to you Second Thessalonians 2.14 where Paul explicitly says that when, as he preaches, he calls people through the gospel... Okay, Second uh, Thessalonians two fourteen. For this he called you through our gospel, so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then notice an example of this in Acts chapter two, in verse thirty nine. Right, Peter had said, you know, you should repent and be baptized, every one of you, every one of you, in the name of Jesus. For forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And in verse 39, for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. This is, isn't that similar to what Peter is saying here in 2 Peter 1, verse 3? Okay. He says, Through the knowledge of him who has called you to his own glory and virtue, to his own glory and excellence. And this is what Peter is doing here in Acts chapter 2 as he talks about Jesus. As he explains Jesus through Old Testament scripture and he pricks the people in the heart through his, through his teaching. And he said, well, this is God calling you. This is how God calls not only you, but everybody on earth. And it's through the teaching of the gospel. Why doesn't um, everyone receive this? Why doesn't everyone receive this call of the gospel? That's, that's an intriguing question. Why, does, why doesn't everyone see the value of this? I wonder why. I think we have the answer in 1 Corinthians 1. Quickly, let's look at that. Chapter 1, 1 Corinthians, talks about this calling. And I'm going to jump down to verse 26. 1 Corinthians 1, 26. <clears throat> Paul says, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you who were wise according to the worldly standards, not many who were powerful, not many who were of noble birth, all according to worldly standards. But God chose what is foolish in this world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose that which is low and despised in the world even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of the Lord. You see, it's a humble calling. It's a humble calling. If we think we know something, okay, we, we're on the wrong foot. We, we must be totally humble before God. Humility, then, will respond to the call of the gospel. Okay. But someone who believes that they are something according to worldly standards or wise, that they have some kind of noble birth or some kind of deserving um, recognition uh, in this world, then they're likely not ever going to um, 
really respond to the gospel. So, through um, according to the knowledge, and that through this knowledge he has called us unto his own glory and virtue. Now, what's the first thing that verse 4, looking back at 2 Peter 1, what's the first thing that verse 4 mentions? Yeah, the great, exceeding great, and precious promises. There's nothing more certain in life than the promises of God. We were blessed to study a little bit about this Monday night in our men's class through the book of Joshua. And so we want to share just a verse or two from Joshua with this emphasizes how precious God's promises are. So I'm going to quickly run back to Joshua chapter 21. And just, Joshua is closing out his time on earth. And he's, he spends a lot of his time talking about how that what God had promised uh, to uh, his people had come, had come true. In uh, Joshua 21, beginning in verse 43, um, Thus the Lord gave to Israel all the land that he swore to give to their fathers, and they took possession of it, and they settled there. And the Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he had sworn to their fathers. Not one of their enemies had withstood them, for the Lord had given them their enemies into their hands. Not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All of it had come to pass. And then Joshua speaks about this in Joshua 23, verse 14. Joshua 23, 14. He says, And now I am about to go to the way, go the way of all the earth. And you know in your hearts and souls, all of you, that not one word has failed of all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you. All have come to pass for you. Not one of them has failed. So the promises of God are exceeding and great and precious to be sure. Here in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse, what is it, verse 9, it says, God is not a slacker, right? God is not slack concerning His promises, as some men count slackness. I'm sure uh, we have been around individuals that make big promises, but they're pretty slow at coming around to actually doing what they say they're going to do. God is not that way. If He says He's going to do something, then we can carry that to the bank and then then other places as well because He is not a slacker. And His promises are so precious to us. It is those promises that causes us then to obey and to serve and then to rededicate and keep obeying and serving. It is those promises. Okay. Uh, somebody read for us again verse 4. He said read verse 4 again for us. Second Peter, going back in Second Peter 1. Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature and escape the corruption that is in the world through us. Okay, so see, through these promises... We can be partakers of the divine nature. Now, Brother Larry, what does that mean? To be partakers of the divine nature. Does that in any sense mean that we become 
Do we become God? I can't mean that. get to be with God, and we get the opportunity to be like God. Okay, not, not become God or a God, but we can become more like Him. Okay, and it, it begins when in our humility we respond to that call of the gospel. And then the more we grow and, and are influenced by the scriptures, then the more we can become like God. Let's look at a couple of verses that helps, with the, helps us with this. Go back with me to 2 Corinthians 3 right quick. Uh, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 3. Looking toward the end of the chapter. Paul's been really encouraging his Jewish brethren to um, remove the veil that has been clogging their minds and opening themselves up to the way of Christ. And then verse 18, uh, 2 Corinthians 3.18, And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Notice that though, we can grow to be more and more like our God. Okay, we can become uh, godly. We can be partakers of the divine uh, nature. Look at Galatians chapter 4, verse 19. Galatians 4, I believe it's verse, yes, verse 19. Paul says, My little children, Galatians four nineteen. My little children for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth. In other words, Paul's saying, I work really hard. Why, Paul? He says, I'm in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. That's Paul's goal. I want Christ to be formed in you. I want you to become more and more partakers of the divine nature. We can grow to be more like God in love, more like God in, in holiness, more like God in spirit, more like God in outreach, more like God in compassion. And the list just goes on and on. But it is through the knowledge and it is through the promises found in the knowledge of God, through these promises, we can become partakers of the divine nature. It's interesting that, that God will always be God, will always be creation. Even when we get to heaven, okay, we're still going to be his servants. Um, there was Adam in the garden at first. And there was no sin there at first, and yet God was still the one in control. God commanded Adam. He created Adam, put Adam in the garden, commanded him to keep that, dress it and keep it, okay, even before sin came into the world. So even when we leave this life and are able to go to the throne of God and be there in that glory, still we'll, we'll be his servants. Now, we'll be we would have grown to be more like Him. And, and the more we grow to be more like God, then the less love we have for this world, the less, the less it has a pull on us. It's like, you ever been 30,000 feet up in an airplane? Okay. 
And you ever been by the window and you're just watching yourself go higher and higher and higher? And the higher you go, the less of the, of the earth you can see. Well, the, the more close we grow to God, then the less attachment we have to this world. And so when we finally get home uh, to heaven to be with him, that's going to be exactly where we want to be. Okay. So we can become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped. And when you hear the word escape, what, what thoughts come to your mind? Having, having escaped. Freedom. Okay. Definitely freedom. Freedom from what? Troubles, okay. Troubles. Being enslaved to sin. Enslaved to sin. Prison, okay. And danger. Danger, okay. You escape when you come to God. You escape certain danger. Certain danger. And if you keep reading in Second Peter, you get to chapter two, and Example after example of those who disobeyed is shown that the angels that disobeyed are now kept in chains of darkness, 2 Peter 2, 4. We remember what happened to those in Noah's day that disobeyed. We remember what happened to those uh, who disobeyed in Sodom and Gomorrah. And the list just keeps going on and on. You see, there's a certain danger of living in the world. Okay. Uh, it's and we have to escape that. And that's what the gospel can do for us. And that's why we desperately need it. We must escape the danger that's associated with the world. Because, first, this world is no way to live. The worldly ways is no way to live. Okay. Remember what John says in 1 John 2.15, all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, well, that is no way to live. No, a lot of people live that way. And they feign happiness with that. Uh, but that's not true joy. True joy is being like Christ. And that being like Christ, Christ helps us to escape the corruptions that's in the world. Plus, we can escape the destruction that will come uh, on Judgment Day. You see. So at the end of uh, 1 Peter, which I believe these two letters of Peter are written within just a few years of each other. Uh, but the end of 1 Peter, chapter, uh, it'll be 1 Peter 4, and um, beginning in verse 17, he says, for, it's, for it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins uh, with us, what shall be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will be Come, what will be the outcome? What will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let us who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. There's that escape. That escape. Notice here in Second Peter chapter 2, verse 20. Very similar words. Second Peter 2, 20. For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome the last state 
has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. What the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to his own vomit and the sow after washing herself returns to wallow in the mire. It's a great responsibility for us to be exposed to the gospel. There's, there's an inherent responsibility. Once we're exposed to that, then we must follow Christ. If we turn back from that, then God is very displeased. But we can escape. We can escape and we can stay with Christ. And that's what Peter's talking about. It's a sweet escape. And if I had one particular caption to put on what are these verses tonight, these phrases put together, it would be that escape. The escape that is there for us. Okay, how does it start? It starts with the divine power that was brought to the apostles. So the apostles would have that knowledge to share with us. Through that knowledge, God calls us to his own glory and virtue. And in that knowledge are all the great, magnificent promises of God. And through these, then uh, we can we can really grow. We can become partakers of his divine nature and we can have that escape from the world and we can have that security of knowing that when we lay it down here, then the Lord is right there with open arms ready to escort us uh, to the next world. Those who escape get this glorious escort uh, by the holy angels to right into the arms of Jesus 2 Peter 1, uh, 3 and 4. Now verses 3 and 4 have this escape. And everybody who comes to God for this escape are meshed together in fellowship. Notice in your Bibles in 2 Peter 1, verse 1, how Peter opens up his book here. He says, Simon Peter, a servant, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a... A like precious faith, I think the King James Version says. Uh, this version says, A faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of God our, and our Savior Jesus Christ. A, a precious, a like precious faith just like ours. Just like ours. No, if we follow the, the, the New Testament, our faith is exactly like Peter's. Exactly like Paul. Exactly like John. An old teacher of mine used to have a sermon, and I've preached it a few times, about the church. He said, and one of his points is, I want to be a member of the church that Paul was a member of. I want to be a member of the church that Peter was a member of. And we can have that same faith, which is only the real true faith, if we go to this knowledge and let this knowledge call us to God. Like precious faith. All right. So that brings us almost to 745. Any further comments you'd like to make on on these uh, verses? Uh, This is uh, what I call sometimes a sword sharpening session. 
I kind of guessed that our number would be a little bit on the low side tonight. That is experience guided by intelligence. And so, um, but it's important to have our swords. The sword is the word of God. And we got to have our sword sharpened. A lot of times we don't want to go into battle because we know that our weapon's not ready. We know it's not sharp. We know we're going to fail. And so we, we want to be ready to help people see the scriptures. And most of the time, the scriptures will explain uh, themselves. That's just how God set it up. He's, he's not here to confuse people. The Lord didn't bring us scripture for everybody to be confused. He wants everybody to come home uh, to Him. So I appreciate you being here in this session and hope this has been uh, helpful. Certainly a powerful letter here uh, written by Peter. Uh, It is uh, history, I believe, um, reveals to us that Peter died by execution. Larry, help me with our remark. It was under Nero, wasn't it? He, yeah. He was under Nero. And, uh, Upside down. And so, um, if you look at Second Peter 3, um, let's see, verse uh, 16, Peter begins to talk about some things that are hard to understand. In verse 15, he says, even as our own beloved brother Paul, some of his writings. That shows us that the time Peter wrote these letters, Paul had already written a number of his. But we also know that Nero, I think Nero's reign ended in the mid-60s, 80s, 60s, or so. So, this is this is kind of late in Peter's life. You know, Paul's already had some of his written. But Peter's going to be executed here uh, pretty soon. So this is kind of late in his life. But what's he going to share? What what in his mind, or what is God leading him to want to share before he uh, goes on to his reward? Well, we have it here in Second Peter. All right, we'll take about a five-minute break and have our devotional.